You're listening to audio from Mosaic Boston Church. If you'd like to check out more resources, learn about Mosaic Boston and our neighborhood churches, or donate to this ministry, please visit mosaicboston.com. This series is inspired by shipping pallets. Um, anybody, uh, shipping pallets, anybody? Any shipping pallet fans? All right. Uh, so shipping pallets are usually pretty cheap. They're also free a lot of times. They're, and in fact, if you, where we unload today, I saw like three shipping pallets sitting there. If you want to build something out of shipping pallets, you can do it. Um, and over the past several years, shipping pallets have really kind of gone to a whole new level of popularity. And People can do amazing things with uh, what used to be just junk behind an old warehouse. They can do some pretty amazing things. Here's some pictures of some things that people have done. Reclaiming, get it? Reclaiming pallets. And uh, this is a pallet table. They took a few pallets, they cut up the wood, and boom, table. Beautiful. Is that beautiful? I think that's really nice. It looks like a nice country table. Uh, I'd sit and eat at that, um, but I'd sit and eat at most anything. Anyway, um, and also, uh, there's this. I found this. Now, this is, what's, this is beautiful. This is made from a pallet. And somebody took time, took an old set of old nasty pallets and put this uh, together. You can go buy it on Etsy right now if you want for the low price of $999.99. Um, so they've taken something that's almost completely uh, lost its value um, behind maybe a warehouse or, or even a school. They've taken this thing and they've reclaimed it. They've re, uh, made it and they've made it very, very valuable uh, to someone. And I'm assuming if they're selling it for that much that um, somebody wants it. And I think it's nice. So reclaiming is so cool because it takes things that were beautiful that have become not beautiful and makes them beautiful and useful again. For instance, a tree beautiful. Cut down that same tree, turn it into a pallet, not as beautiful. Put it back together and you can come, well, the picture's gone, but you can come and uh, uh, you can make something beautiful out of, out of it again. And that is the story of the scriptures, as you'll see. As we go through this series, you'll see this over and over again. There's this theme of reclaiming, taking what was once beautiful that has, has fallen and then is made beautiful again. See, God is on a mission to reclaim the world that he made good. But we, I, screwed it up big time. On the third page of the Bible, things go horribly wrong. Um, but there's good news. The last page of the Bible tells us this, that it'll all be reclaimed. There's a, there's a happy ending to this story. And this is kind of our theme verse for this series. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's important. Like the word order is important there because he doesn't say I'm making all new things. He says I'm making all things new, that there's this reclaiming, this uh, redeeming. Maybe it's another word that that's you've heard before. And that's what God is doing. And so we're going to look at reclaiming relationships a little later on. And we're going to look at uh, reclaiming even the earth. We're going to look at what does it mean to be a follower of Christ and take care of the earth that we've been given. We're going to talk about reclaiming our finances. And we're also going to be talking about for the next three weeks reclaiming work. And I know it's Sunday and you don't want to think about Monday yet. I get that. 
Um, and, and, if you're think, and if you're like, ah, I came here to hear about God, and now I'm going to have to hear about work. That's like the one thing I don't want to hear about yet. You know, that's tomorrow. I hope that today can actually be hopefully enlightening to you about the scriptures and, and how they apply to work, but encouraging and, and, and actually empowering as you go into work tomorrow, but also challenging. I hope that it challenges you today and maybe your view of, of work. So we talk about work and we talk about life and we take these very practical matters because we believe in the gospel here, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Jesus, which is the reclaiming motif of scripture, that, um, that it was good, we made it bad, and Jesus comes along to save us. And he doesn't just redeem us, but he redeems everything, that everything is redeemed and reclaimed through Christ Jesus. And this gospel interweaves into our lives and interlocks with it, and everything is touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're a follower of Christ. If we say that I'm going to give my life to him, that this is my life, following Jesus is what I do, that there is no piece of the pie, there's no direction that shouldn't be influenced and and, uh, um, touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the implications of the gospel include things like the work that we do on Monday through Friday, or whatever your schedule is. The implications of the gospel touch these very practical issues, and then they live out in ways that are focused on, as we're going to talk about in, in the next few weeks, eternity. And so, I know, I, you, you look at me and you say, oh, this guy's a pastor, that means he works like once a week, um, and he gets up here and he pontificates, or whatever, I don't even know what that means, I just used it because it sounded smart. <laughs> Uh, he, he gets up here and he talks, and, and, um, and he only works once a week. Now, it's, it's not really true. We, we do work more than that. And, um, but uh, I get it. But I have had more normal jobs in my life. Growing up, I was basically a servant of my parents. Um, maybe that was you too. Your parents always had things for you to do. You, you know, what, whatever it was, you know, mine was, uh, I always had to take out the trash and mow the lawn. Those are some of the things I had to do and unload the dishwasher and clothes wash, folding, yada, yada. You guys, can, you guys know that. But, and I was, I was particularly lazy um, as a child, uh, and, but it was good for me. It, it helped me. My first paying job, though, was helping, I put in quotes, helping my dad as he built auto lifts. So if you go to the auto shop, he would build these lifts that raise the cars up in the air and they could work on them. And I helped him build those. And I, I put help in quotations because I was more kind of like there to just be with dad and maybe even kind of an annoyance sometimes. There, were, there was this one opportunity when I actually did get to help when he put me on a rope and he lowered me into a pit of oil. This is kind of interesting. And I leaned down there, he had dropped a wrench. And I leaned down there and I was able to get this little wrench because it was a little hole that he couldn't fit in. And so that was kind of cool. And he pulled me up and I was like, yeah, I got to help dad. My hair was like covered in grease and stuff. It was, it was awesome. It was the most amazing thing ever. As I got a little older, I ended up working at a plant nursery and I uh, basically... Working in a plant nursery meant that I picked up bags of manure for a living and would move these 50-pound bags from a pile to a truck, and that's what I just did. That and pine straw, like all day long, I would do that. And so that was a fun job, and uh, you know, I, I got muscles from that that I no longer have. But um, it was fun. It was hard work, but I enjoyed it. Then I, uh, this is like, I love, if my granddad's listening to this, I love him dearly, um, but he has, he has this, had this tank shop where he built tanks, underground, above-ground tanks, um, and, and it was really cool, kind of the things that he did, and he hired me for a summer because I needed a job, and he hired me not to make tanks, but to sort bolts and, and nuts in the, back of his, in, in the back of his building, and so I just sat there all summer long listening to emo music and uh, sorting nuts and bolts 
for my granddad. It was misery, absolute misery. Um, actually electrocuted myself that summer. That was fun. Nobody knew it uh, because I was like back there in the back and nobody knew. So um, <laughs> then, then, I, then I go in, went into my phase about working in fast food and I worked Chick-fil-A. I worked at Sonic. Sonic Drive-In, anybody? Anybody been to Sonic before? Okay. Um, and so... Uh, there's, there's, uh, I'm sure you have kind of a similar list of different jobs that you've done over time, um, and, and maybe you're in your dream job now, maybe you're not, maybe you're working toward that dream job, I don't know what it is, this past week I sent out an email, Netflix is hiring people to binge watch Netflix, that's pretty cool, maybe that's your dream job, maybe that's what you uh, would love to do, since you probably do it already, anyway, so, uh, but, but when we think about professions um, that make a difference, we usually think about professions like doctors, or we think about humanitarian work, or we think about even like missionaries, or, or possibly uh, positions like pastors, or, or social workers, or, or, and you can probably think of a few more things. But those are the professions that uh, we think of as like helping, and like we can see the significance of them. And a lot of times we have this tendency to think that the thing that we do, if it's not one of those kind of ones that... Um, help people, the thing that we do doesn't have uh, maybe a spiritual or eternal significance. But I don't think that's what the scriptures teach us. They don't teach that we work our behinds off all our life so that one day we can have the good life and we can retire and not work anymore. And that's not the teaching of the scripture, um, per se. Um, they also don't teach that you just work and work and work until you one day die and that that's the purpose of work. And it's just so you can feed yourself and have a place to live. Although those are all good things, that's not what the scriptures point to. And actually, most frameworks kind of see uh, work as sort of a necessary evil that we all have to do in order to make it through this life and, and work together. In ancient uh, religions of Mesopotamia, work was seen as a burden that humans were made by the gods to relieve the gods of their duties in the universe. So the gods didn't want to have to take care of the plants anymore, so they gave it to the humans to do. And so the gods could sit back and sip little umbrella uh, drinks. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so that was kind of those religions. Then Egyptian religions saw uh, humans as cattle of the gods, that they were to be yoked with work and milked for their produce and slaughtered for the benefit of the gods. And then in ancient Greece, physical labor was looked down upon, that it was all about what could be, what, uh, could be uh, how the mind was used, and that was the highest of, of uh, professions, but the perspective of the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures is it goes a different direction, a whole different approach than a lot of these other religions. See, God doesn't need our help. He's not tired and needs some assistance in running the universe. He could do it on his own. He's fully capable of doing it all, but he desires to include people in the joys of working. That's what I said, the joys of working. Now, we're going to work some of that out a little bit because if you're thinking Maybe work isn't so joyful, isn't so fun all the time. I get it. I understand it. But we're going to work some of that out and where it comes from. But humans were not made as slaves to God, but as partners, as co-workers, if you will, in God's human project, which seems a little, I'll admit, a little romantic, the, the human project that we all get to be a part of. Um, but at the same time, when we read through today's passage, I think you'll see that God has a, few, uh, a full view of what work was, what work is, and what work will become. So we're going to answer four questions today. Um, who is the original worker? 
Why do we work? Why is work so difficult? And what is God doing about it? Next week, if you come, we're going to get more practical, and we're going to talk about knowing uh, the will of God and, and what kind of job you should be in and how can you find that, or, or if you're in a job that you feel like isn't to your full potential, what that means. And, and then we're going to also talk about next week, what is a good job? Like, what, is, what, can, what makes up a good job? So come back. This week is a little more kind of foundational um, uh, and, and understanding what the scriptures say about work. So if you would, let's pray with me, and then we'll dive right into the scriptures. Dear Heavenly Father, today... Work through your word in us that it could be powerful and it could uh, truly change us. I pray that none of us would leave here uh, unchanged, unmoved by you. Um, God, I pray that you would help uh, me as I speak to be clear in the things that I'm not clear on that you would clear up for us that we could understand and obey as you are Lord and you are Savior. Today, uh, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read. In Genesis chapter one, first page of the Bible, I'm gonna read the first two verses here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the waters, depths, and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. When you hear formless and empty, we have this temptation to kind of think of a, a globe in, in hanging in, in space or just floating in space. Maybe like this kind of like clay glob of primordial earth and God comes up to it and he kind of forms it. But the author of Genesis isn't probably there. That's probably at least not on purpose what he was intending when he says that because that view has only been since we went to the moon and we could take a picture or satellites at least have looked at the earth, you know, um, and have been able to see it. So the author of Genesis is probably just, is probably not thinking of the globe itself. And when, I like the translation um, that uh, a Hebrew scholar named Tim Mackey comes up with the words formless and empty. He says, wild and waste. It has this, this cool, kind of a cool sound to it. And uh, wild and waste. This, this is kind of like desert wasteland that has uh, no life and it's, it's um, just wild and not made for humans, not made for humans. Has no reason or meaning or purpose. And this is, it's the perfect place for God to step in because as we've seen over the past few months and, and weeks that uh, God steps in and turns nothing special into something special all the time. It's, it's what he does. Let's continue reading. Uh, verse two and through five. Now the earth was formless and void and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You kind of have this spirit of God hovering. It's like this anticipation that something's gonna happen, all right? Verse three. Then God said, let there be light. Unless you have like a Google assistant, you can't say that and lights turn on, but God could. <laughs> God said, let there be light. And light just isn't, didn't come on, but light was created. Okay. And there was light. Verse four. God saw that the light was good. That's an important word. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. 
See, God gets to work making this wasteland, this place that's not made for habitation. He gets to work uh, creating order and separating light from darkness and, and moving things around so that order starts to be made and time starts to happen and, 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 and daylight happens and he starts to create it as a place habitable for humanity, for those he's going to make. We recently moved, as in like Monday, and um, if you walked into our house on Monday, it was just boxes everywhere stacked to the ceiling, craziness all over the place. And you walk into that and you're like, oh man, where do I even start? Where do I even start with this? It's this wild wasteland to, to think, you know, where two-year-olds just run crazy knocking things over. And, and, and so we, we get into the boxes and we start separating things out. We start moving things over here and we take this bookcase and we put it here. Or we take this, uh, this uh, chest of doors and put it here and put the couch here and try to situate this and get the TV set up and get the internet man there and get all these things happening so that what is a wild wasteland of our house that's unusable and not, habitable, not uh, suitable for habiting as a person becomes this place where you can have a home, a functioning house ready for humans or family to live in. And that's what God's doing here is he creates. He's creating a home for humans. He's separating things out and, and making things uh, in order so that people can have a place to live and be and thrive. And he continues to work for five days. And each day he's making the place less of a wild wasteland. He creates dry land and animals and fruit trees. And at the end of each day, he looks at it and he says, this is good. This is good. But why is he making it all good? That's when the sixth day comes around. Things slow down a little bit, and God takes his time on his final creation. This is his crown jewel of creation. It's, it's not the majestic horse or the impressive brontosaurus or the beautiful bangled tiger or the resourceful dung beetle, but it is people. <laughs> Two creatures that are different from all the other creatures. And they're special because they reflect their maker, God. And when you look at them, it says that they image God, which means they reflect their creator, that there's a part of their creator in them that then, that then when people look or, or, or when they're uh, seen, you get a vision of who God is. But why did he make men different, men and women different from the rest of the animals? Verse 26 of chapter one. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea. That word rule, remember that. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God created humans for a special job. It was to rule over his good creation, that all these things that he was doing was to, was to start this, as I talked about, human project, and that humans were to be the cultivators of God's creation. And then God gives a command to the humans in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, 
I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seeds. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. See, when God tells humans to be fruitful and multiply, the first thing we think of is have babies, which is part of the equation. That is, God is saying that. But it's more than that, because the, the dogs can have baby or dogs can have puppies, excuse me. The dogs can have puppies, and the cats can have kitties, and the rabbits can have uh, bunnies, is that right? Uh, can, and so they, they can be fruitful, they can multiply, they can create more of themselves, but it's more than just that. When God says be fruitful and multiply, he says subdue and rule, he's saying that they are to make society. They're to make towns and they're to make concertos and they're to make tools and painting and iPhones and cities and jokes and desserts and games and my personal favorite, burritos. And it just keeps going and going all the things that we are to do that are different. I've never seen a rabbit eat a burrito or make eat, I mean, maybe eat a burrito that he didn't make. They didn't make one, you know? They, didn't, they don't create art. You know, you can set paint out and they might run across a, a canvas, but it's not art, right? It's, it's just an animal running across a canvas. There's an episode of the Nickelodeon TV show Doug about that. Pork chop makes art. Okay. <laughs> 90s kids understand. <clears throat> Today we're still drawing resources from the planet that Adam and Eve were created out of. Think, just think about that. I was driving down the road and thought about the car in front of me is made of metal that was in the earth when God created. That's a, it's a pretty incredible thing to think about that we're still drawing resources, that God, in, in, when he created creation, he made this garden and he just packed it full of potential, potential that we are still drawing from today. That's a cool thought to think about. Okay, chapter two, verse one. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his, what's the word there? God had completed his, work and he had done and he uh, and he that he had done excuse me and he rested on the seventh day from all his what yep that he had done and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for on on it he rested from all his work of creation see God rests from his work this is the foundation for the Sabbath this is where the Jews get their Sabbath rest and and uh, we we still kind of follow that today um, in a sense, but, uh, uh, but also we see that this is God at work, that the act of creation was God at work. And so God is the original worker. So if we ask that question, who's the original worker? God is the original worker. He's the original laborer. That he, that's what he was doing the six days, before, six days before the Sabbath. He was working. It wasn't magic. It wasn't leisure. It wasn't his hobby. It was his work which tells us something interesting about work. In the Christian worldview, it is not evil. Because if God is doing work 
and he can't do evil, then work itself is not in essence evil. <laughs> it may be surprising to some of you as you think about your job you have to go to. You say, it feels pretty bad. doesn't feel great, you know. Uh, but it, it, it isn't, according to the scriptures, in, 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 its, in its essence, the work itself is not bad. It, that a good God created a good thing, and, and it was good work. Now, all the bad stuff in, in the biblical story doesn't happen until chapter 3, and we're going to get there, and that's going to explain some of this stuff that's happening. But this is where it gets really cool, and it kind of hits us where we live, where the rubber meets the road, to, uh, so to speak. Why do we work? First off, we work because we've been created to reflect our creator. So if our creator is a worker, if our creator is a laborer, then we too are laborers because we reflect him. And I think that the, uh, the uh, pursuit of progress that God has put inside of us, that the, the go out and multiply, the, the, um, the create society, all that kind of stuff, is put in us and we work for it. It pushes us out and we subdue the earth for the benefit of humanity, all in an effort of, of uh, uh, reflecting our creator. But also, we've been commanded to work. The first command comes in chapter uh, one, verse 28, but the second comes in chapter two. And when the story zooms in on the two human creations, verses 15 through 23, read that to you, chapter two, verses 15 through 23. And the Lord took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird in the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept, and God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at the place. Then the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken man, that God commissions them to labor and subdue and to rule over all of creation, to work the garden, that the first job given is the job of a gardener, that God has kind of created this place and asks and tells Adam and Eve to tend to the garden. Um, okay, so sorry about this. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I apologize. But if you do, this is going to be helpful. It's my son Quentin's birthday. He's eight years old today. And so I have told him that I'm going to talk about Minecraft. Uh, he, it's, it's, his favorite, it's his favorite video game. So I wasn't into it at all until about a month ago. And, and uh, I saw them playing this game, Minecraft. And it's been around forever. You've probably seen all kinds of stuff about it. Um, well, I mentioned a few weeks ago that Quentin helps me with the oil and all that kind of stuff. Every once in a while, handing me wrenches, and he works with me, and I don't need his help, but it's, it's kind of my joy to have him there helping me and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's the exact opposite in Minecraft. He has this world, and that every once in a while, he gives me a control and says, Dad, will you help me go in and subdue creation? No, he doesn't say that. That would be like what the theologian says. And so I'm sitting here playing this game, and I can't turn off my preacher brain, and I'm like, oh, my word. 
this is like Genesis chapter 1 and 2. This is subduing creation, that you are dropped in the middle of a field. There's nothing. It's just grass and hills and snow and clouds, and you're just there. And then you go up to a tree and you start punching it, like this. If you've been seeing Minecraft, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Start punching a tree, and you create wood, and then you create a pickaxe. And once you create a pickaxe, you can start to mine. And once you start to mine, you can get iron ore. And once you get iron ore, you can get gold ore and diamonds and all this stuff. And you start getting all these things, and you start making these, these uh, you start making technology, and, and you start harvesting uh, and, and uh, fruit and wood, and, uh, and you make pickaxes and minecart and cotton and glass and so much more. And what started out as a field that Maggie and Quentin were dropped into because uh, both of them play, that were dropped into, is now like this community, this society that they've made where they each have their own houses and they have husbandry and they have farms and they have all these things that they go. And I'm like, hey guys, I need some, uh, I need some iron ore to make a new pickaxe. And they're like, let me go into my quarry that I made. And so they go over here and they go down and they get all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. That, that's, that's what it is, is that God, uh, when he made Adam and Eve, he gave them this perfect garden to go in and work and till and make society and push back the expanses of the garden because that's the thing is you start out with a little house and you're just terrified because you don't want to die in Minecraft. I'm, in Minecraft. I'm back to Minecraft. I'm sorry. Um, you don't want to die, but then you start building out and building out and taking over this world and that's the idea is that as, as time went on at creation and with Adam and Eve that the garden would expand and the edges of the garden would move out and they would push back the wild and waste that was there. So, they're working. They're expanding. That is what it is. It's this joy to be partnered and be a co-worker of God. This is the definition we're going to use for work for the, for the next few weeks. Is work is how we make ourselves useful to others. How we make ourselves useful to other people. It's not about us. See, in God's economy, it's not about getting all that we can get and saving it for ourselves and, and holding it back so that we can poison the rest so that it all kind of benefits me and I don't care what happens to you and you're just a means to my end. That's not what God has in mind at all, but it's this partnership in the human project of filling the earth and reflecting God's glory and bringing the garden that God had in mind back. So this is what 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says. The apostle Paul wrote this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So whatever we do as followers of Christ, including work, should be done so that God receives greater glory. This is the point of our work, which is to say that God is shown to be more of who he really is. That's when we say giving God glory, we're just gonna be showing uh, people uh, more about who God already is and expanding that and, and letting them see who God is in all that he is. And when God is glorified, humanity flourishes. God intended it to be that way. And it, it's tangled up together and inseparably wrapped. And so when we glorify God through our lives, through the way we live, humanity flourishes when we do it in God's way, in God's will. But there's a problem. All this sounds wonderful. Pushing back the garden, you know, uh, subduing the earth and, and using the resources and all these kind of things. But even if you have a job that you love, like you just, man, you, you really just love your job. You love what you do. There are days when your job is still the worst. Can we, can we agree on that? There are days that you wake up and you're like, I don't want to do this. I know because I love my job. And some Sundays I wake up and say, if I wasn't paid, I wouldn't be going to church today. 
We'll edit that out of the podcast. That didn't happen. No. Um, no, I, but there's just still days when no matter how much you love your job, there are gonna be difficult days that come. Days are painful and long and arduous and it doesn't feel like a divine partnership in the human project. <laughs> Feels a lot like labor and toil and beating our heads against the wall. So why is it so difficult? And this is when we come to Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said, okay, pause real quick. Um, there's a snake talking. That's weird. So we'll just go ahead and get that out the way. Snake is talking. You, you probably have heard this story before in some sense, but it is kind of weird. And also, one thing to think about here is even if the people 3,500 years ago when this book was written, snakes didn't talk back then either, and so they want you to notice this. This is supposed to be weird. It's supposed to stick out, and it doesn't happen a lot. So anyway, there's a snake talking. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here are Adam and Eve. They have a perfect experience with God. Literally, they're in the garden together working side by side with God who comes strolling through in the evening. Think about that. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. That's the life that they're living right now. And yet they say, that's all nice and that's fine, God, but I want to do it my way. You ever done that? I want to do it my way. And God in his sovereignty, in his patience, allows them to choose to go the wrong way. He allows them to choose to do things that aren't for his glory. And because of that, life takes a horrible turn because there are consequences for actions that go against the way that God's designed things to be. And after Adam and Eve rebel against God, God goes and takes his evening stroll in the garden. And he realizes that his co-workers aren't around. Where did they go? Where did my, my friends go? The ones that I work beside as we do this garden together. Where are my gardening friends? I, I don't know. I can't find them. And it wasn't just that they had left or they had gone somewhere, but they were hiding there. And he says, where are you? And they come out and they start having this whole argument about, oh, it was, it was her fault. It was his fault. No, the snake made me do it. All this kind of stuff. And God's like, it doesn't matter. It happened and it was all of your faults. In verse 16, God says this. There's gonna be consequences. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed 
because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor. All the days of your life will produce thorns. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field and you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until the return to the ground, until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. Work is difficult and often joyless because of the fall of humanity. This is the toil of the broken state we've been put in, the labor of the pain of work. And the good work that God made in chapter 1 is reverted, starts to be reverted back into the waste and wild that he was pushing back in the first chapter. We are taking God's garden and turning it back into a desert a lot of times when we work against him. And it's painful every step of the way. So when, those days when you wake up and you're hating your job and you're, you're working hard, but you just, things aren't going your way on those days, you can wake up and just blame Adam. It's his fault. <laughs> Whether you're a farmer or not, every job has its thistles. Every job has its thorns. Every job is done by the sweat of your brow. And a lot of the work these days is just as painful and it's just a grind and feels empty like something to distract us until we die. We go back to the dust. Which is how God says it. And now we live out a life of toil. Kind of depressing. But thankfully, it's not the end. It's not the end. This is the reclaiming part. It's also in the third chapter that we get the first glimpse that God is going to do something about all the destruction and chaos and waste and wild that is coming back into his good creation. It's not extremely clear here, and I'm not sure how much uh, Adam and Eve understood what God was saying here, but God is reclaiming what has been destroyed. See, that's what God's going to do about it. He's going to reclaim it in verses 14 and 15. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, that's important, between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head. So the offspring will strike the head of the snake. And you will strike his heel. There's coming a day when the snake will strike the heel of one of Eve's children. And that child will take the venom of the snake into himself, the evil of the snake into himself, and in um, and there's this wounded victor here that is going to make things right and reclaim that which has been wrecked in the wake of human sinfulness. And that's the gospel. Looking back on it from 3,500 years in the future, we can look through the lens of Christ and we can see that this wounded victor, this one that's going to crush the head of the snake, yet be bitten in the process and absorb all the venom, is Christ. That on the cross, Jesus is turning what we've turned into chaos back into God's good design. He's making the desert into a garden once again. Which is what we see on the last page of the Bible. That he's taking, that he's taking um, heaven and he's bringing earth and he's bringing them back together. Like they're meant to be. Overlapping. That the good garden will come back and people once again will work in perfect unity making this garden 
in this society together. My guess is that your reality tomorrow when you head back into work is you have firsthand knowledge. You are very knowledgeable that you're not heading into the Garden of Eden tomorrow. (laughs) That work is going to be hard and there's going to be people that drive you crazy. There's going to be things that you have to do that are very, very difficult. There's going to be, you just some days are going to want to walk out the back door because you're just tired of it, tired of dealing with it. Where do we stand now? So if the garden hasn't come, if Christ has died and resurrected and the garden has not come yet, where do we stand? See, on the cross, as Jesus absorbed all of the, the sin that we've done, all the venom in, in the analogy, all the venom that we have, we now live in this in-between time. We live between the time of his death and resurrection and the time when he's going to return. But in this time, as people of the cross, we let the ways of the garden, the good intentions of God, live out in our daily lives. This is what the scripture uh, uh, tells us to to move toward, that day by day we're moving more into the men and women of God that we're supposed to be, into the humanity that God designed in the first place. It was good and very good. And as we move closer to God, we begin to live out his plan in the world And we live it out in every area of life. But where is the area that we spend the most waking hours? Work. Work. Think about it. The average person works 47 hours a week. We're going to be living out a lot of our salvation and our, our life with God inside of our work. So we are tasked in this intermission time between Jesus' resurrection and his return with bringing the good of the garden back to the wild waste of the world that we live in. So as we close out here, I want to give us a few questions to think about, and then we'll pray. Here's some questions I want you to think about in your job. How is my job a reflection of the garden? So the thing that I do, how is it reflecting what God intended in the beginning? And I think that probably most of us, if you, if you have a job that is uh, uh, legal and is, is good, your job in some capacity can reflect the garden, okay? So how does it? How does that happen? Then the next question, this is probably a little easier to identify. Where is my job a reflection of the fall that happened in chapter 3? Where is the toil? Where is the hardship? Where is the sweat of my brow part of my job? Where are the thorns and the thistles? Next, how can I bring the goodness of the garden to the chaos of my job? So how can I bring what Christ has done in me to the chaos of the the part of my job that's chaotic? And how can I bring the order and beauty and function of the garden to the job where I'm at? And finally, where is God using my job to shape me into the coworker? And, And coworker next to your other workers at at your job, like, but also co-worker of him. So he's still your co-worker. So how is God shaping me into the one that he desires? Today, maybe, maybe you're not a follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, then this might not really appeal to you. Maybe, Maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but maybe for the first time it did make sense to you that Christ has come for you, to come to give salvation. He offers hope 
to those that turn their direction and follow him. See, Jesus isn't just reclaiming work, but he's reclaiming us. And through the cross, he can make the desert of our lives into the garden that he intends if we will repent, which means to turn, and then follow him. Will you do that today? Will you do that today? There's a couple ways you can respond now, and I want to encourage you to do so as I challenge you here. There's a card that you received. We talked about it a couple times already. On that card, if you have some prayer, or you want to know more about Christ, or you want to be baptized, or you want to uh, uh, rededicate your life to Jesus, meaning that you just want to say, God, I'm, I'm back in. <laughs> I went away for a while, but I'm back. If that's something you want to do, you can fill that card out. Or in just a minute, I'll be up here after the service. When, when you're heading out, you can come talk to me. I'd love to talk and pray for you. Also, go to a community group. Tell somebody in a community group about a decision you made. Or even go up to the Connect and Serve booth right out in the front. You can talk to somebody there, and they'll connect you in where you should be. But don't leave here today without, uh, if God's spoken to you, if you feel like you've been moved by, by the scriptures, don't leave here today without uh, talking to someone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good intentions of the garden. God, I, I thank you for everyone here that works so hard in, in a place like Boston. I know that there is a lot of hard workers here. God, that our temptation isn't to be lazy in a place like this, but our temptation is to overwork. And so, God, may you bring your garden intentions into our life, that we could live them out in our work, that we could live through you, that you could uh, use us, serve us, that we could be your tools um, in the cultivation of the garden that you had intended in the beginning, God. That we could take the chaos of our work and we could bring your life to it. And not just to the functions and the systems of our job, which, you're, uh, which you have intended to redeem and reclaim too, but God, to the people of our jobs, God, that we could, we could bring your hope to their lives that people would be changed. God, um, today be with us. And for those that don't know you, God, may they come to know you today and follow you with all they have. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.